title of it was 60 Things That Happen When You Get Saved. Uh, this morning I got it up to 69 things, and I'm not going to stop till I get 70, and if I come up with some more, it'll be 77. Now we're not going to go through this whole thing today. I'm beeping. Okay, that might have been in the cook room there. Good. Uh, the uh, We're not going to try to accomplish this all today, but I just cannot get myself away from it as far as things that accompany salvation. I don't think we realize all the things that take place when we accept Christ as our personal Savior. Not, not just, not merely responsibilities. I'm talking about the gifts we receive, the endowments we receive, the almighty grace we receive when we accept Christ as our personal Savior. We are very limited in our scope of things. I once likened it to the guy who looks through a keyhole and perceives the whole world. When you accept Christ as your personal Savior, you get the privilege to look through that proper keyhole. And you'll see, as Brother Fred uh, tries to enunciate here in the evening service services, that you're going to see the world through God's eyes and the perspective and know the mind of Christ. That doesn't take place till you accept Christ as your personal Savior. Once you've accepted him as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. One of the other things that happens when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, your conscience becomes developed. You talk to psychiatrists all over the country. They'll tell you that a Christian is merely somebody, a secular psychiatrist will tell you a Christian is merely somebody with an overdeveloped conscience. In their underdeveloped state, they'll tell you that. But if I've talked to Christian psychologists, and there are, and psychiatrists, and there are, good men of God, I think of a few right off the top of my head, uh, they will have that keyhole right down there where you can look at it. And that keyhole is how you're to perceive the things that happen in life. This morning, the Sunday school lesson by Brother Russell was all about seeing things in God's perspective. A little different angle than the classical example that Brother Fred brought up afterwards of, you know, being able to overcome and accomplish all things. God has a far wider view than we can handle, far bigger perspective than we can handle. He can hold that world in the palm of his hands and know what's going on on all, I want to say, four sides of it. We'd call it square then, wouldn't we? But he can hold that ball in his hand, and he knows what's going on all over, and he knows how it was made and where it came from and where it's going. So he has a complete perspective, and you have a glimpse of that as you look into his word. And I don't find salvation a boring subject because when I start looking through that keyhole and I see salvation, it opens up everything else. I admire people that have some kind of intelligence or comprehension of things that I don't have, which is a lot of different people. But I especially admire and I honor those that have that perspective from God's point of view. All the rest is hearsay. And some people are gifted. and They might know all about a flower and what makes it bloom and how it grows and the chemical makeup and the times of the year it requires moisture and the cellular structure of the plant. I don't admire, admire that person nearly as much as the, I admire the man that has, or woman, that has those same attributes but gives the glory to God when they're done. Because I know they're looking through that perspective of life that I see. 
and I can honor that. There are good scientists, some of the most accomplished scientists and doctors and medical people in this world are born-again Christians, and God's given them gifts that company salvation. Each one of us have gifts and responsibilities and privileges that come to us when we accept Christ as our personal Savior. And what we go to church for most of, most of the time, amongst some of the other reasons, one of the reasons we go to church is to develop those gifts, to develop those responsibilities, to develop those insights into why we're here. Not necessarily here physically in church, but why we're walking this planet. Why we uh, have God in our hearts and why we will finish up where it all ends, what we're to do, how do we react, what we're to accomplish. I've had the privilege to uh, see a lot of things and experience a lot of different things. And I am so glad that it was through the keyhole that God sat before my life and allowed me to see. And that is only limited by what I've tried to accomplish through him and what I've tried to do as he's led me to do. Each one of you have that same responsibility. Each one of us have that same privileges. Those same dynamics are laid out before us as we accept Christ at his word, and that starts initially at salvation. Where can you go if you don't accept Christ as your personal Savior in accordance to his word? I know wonderful, brilliant men that copy and have accepted portions of God's word and have acted upon those portions of God's word, but have not accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Yet God still does not withhold his blessings from them. There's a verse that talks about, I've been good to you, I'm paraphrasing, I've been good to you so that you would know salvation. And some of those very poor people that have stood before me and stood before us and stood before others and said, look what I have. I do not thank God for this. I've accomplished it. You'd be fortunate because one day you'll have it all removed. And you'll stand before the one who allowed you to accomplish that who allowed you to mimic him, who allowed you to take and imitate some of those privileges and some of those beautiful things that he's endowed upon every believer who's accepted him as his personal Savior. And each one of us can lay claim to that in heaven and stand before him righteously, not in self-righteousness, but in true righteousness. Righteousness only means right before God. Self-righteousness is right in your own eyes. We all have that ability to make ourselves self-righteous. We all have the ability, most of us, have the cognitive skills, for lack of a better thing. We can justify what we've done. But when our justification lines up with God's justification, that is true righteousness. That is truly lining up with the righteousness now, my Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when you realize that self-righteousness is not what you need, you need to be truly righteous before God, 
in submission to his word, in submission to salvation to start with, and then submission to the things he puts in front of you and lets you see and experience and lay ahead of you on his behalf, then you can truly be righteous before God. Now, none of us have arrived. None of us. We will, though, one day. And God's going to sit there, and we're going to be sitting there uh, just before the throne, and we're going to be sitting there, and we'll stand up, and he'll say, uh, how far did you get after salvation? How far did you get? And you'll go, well, I'm sorry. I never went to church. I never uh, joined a body of believers. I never fellowshiped with other Christians. I never defended... He says, you're in the door. You've got a seat. But you could have had that one up there. You could have been in the front row if you would have submitted to me. I had mar- far better things planned for you than being just the mere president of the Quarter Horse Association. I had far better things for you than just being uh, a judge. I had far better things for you than just being a successful engineer or a successful housewife or a successful parent. Boy, that's a job, too, and that's something we sell ourselves short on. Being a, I could have helped you all along those ways to accomplish even some of your dreams that I placed in your soul before you were conceived. He's going to say all that, but then he's going to wipe away our tears, and he's going to let us come on in and sharing that glory, and sharing that forgiveness, realizing we've only limited ourselves to it and from it by our actions here while we were on earth. I admire some of the fellas that uh, I talked to a man today that was not of of even, uh, not today, but in this week, I talked to a man that wasn't even in the true faith. But he was looking forward to eternity. He was looking forward to being with God. He was looking forward to resolution and his righteousness. But he missed it right here. He missed it on this planet. Hopefully I'll see him again and be able to explain it to him. That was at Powers. Met a fellow at Powers. He said, you're in here quite a bit. You look at the books. And, uh, he says, yeah. He says, if you see one for me, find it. And... Uh, if you see one, save it. And I says, I'll give it to uh, Mrs. Uh, Ensley. She works here. Uh, Enzyme. She works here. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what develops from that. But each one of us have an opportunity after salvation to act upon that salvation. We're given so many endowments and we're given so many gifts, we don't appreciate them. Okay, that's the introduction. We got what? Uh, 20, 30 minutes. I'm trying to think. 11.31, is that the right time up there? Yeah, I think it is. What things that accompany salvation, we now can experience fully God's grace. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, least any man should boast. There's another thing that I realized as we looked at that, and we looked at that last week, is that the second thing that accompanies us when we experience salvation, is our faith becomes justified before God. Everybody has faith. Everybody has faith, except those that are limited in their, in their 
mental capacities. Some of those people don't have much faith. They just take everything at face value, and that's one of the reasons we call them simple. And unfortunately, there are a few people like that. And why are they like that? I've had parents ask me, how come my child was born simple? Was it my sin or was it someone else's sin? It was someone else's sin if it wasn't your sin. Because sin's allowed in this world to give us a choice between good and evil. And that sin is in this world. And I had a young man ask me, how come the devil is around? And it's to give us a choice between good and evil. And it, because of other people's choices, either in your ancestors or your neighbors, there is sin in this world, and it affects you and your children. Okay. So everybody has faith in something. I've been in the deepest, darkest part of the prisons and interrupted a man telling another man how to pick a lock. I've interrupted people. Tell, uh, I've, I've had dope deals go on in the back pew of the church at, at uh, Huntsville Penitentiary. Watch dope deals go on. And I walk back there and go, how's it going? Did you get your hit? Did you get your score? They're making choices. They're denying God. But that sin affected the whole congregation, 400 men. It affected them. They, you can eliminate the back pews. They just move up one. <laughs> but that's why there are problems in this world. It's because of God's grace we have problems in this world. What? What? Take a look at it through God's eyes. He allows you to make the wrong choice. That wrong choice, like Putin made this last month, affects a whole lot of people. And they stand around and say, why? Why? The people that are being conquered, and even the conquerors in this regard. God allowed him to make that choice. His grace upon the sinner allowed that. I don't know what's going to result from it. I don't see God through God's eyes on everything. But I know that's an answer. And you get that answer in your personal life by looking through that keyhole that God laid out that's as big as the pages on your Bible that he allows you to see through. You miss out on a lot of those perspectives that are presented to you at salvation when you don't realize and act upon them. I'm saved, I got that fire escape from hell. I can do about anything and God will forgive me. Really? Are you sure about that? Well, I'd like to think so. Why don't you see what God has to say about that? Only you know your relationship with him. Only you know your interactions with him. Only you know and he knows where you stand with him. So if anything else, if you... Uh, see in these things that accompany salvation something that you don't have, you can ask for it. He'll enlighten you. He'll give it to you. Or you can realize that maybe you missed the boat at the beginning. But hopefully that won't be the case. I want us to all be aware. It'd be like we're laid out for a battle, and I have to prepare you for a, a fight. And there's gloves in the back room. There's guns in the back room. There's all kinds of ammunition in the back room. There's swords in the back room. There's all kinds of things. 
Maybe you're going to be a cook. You don't have to fight. Maybe there's utensils and food in the back room. Somebody has to do it. I don't know where God's called you in his great battle on this earth. But my job is to let you know it's all there. It's all there. And where is it? Whatever he's prepared you to do, whatever he's desired for you to do, whether it's the mechanic or the one who flies the plane, it's right here for you. That's my job. And that's our job as Christians is to pursue that. And sometimes we uh, need to be pushed a little, forced a little to do that. That's why I pray for each one of us. I need you to pray for me. Those things take place in a church. So we need to work together. We need to strive together. We need to examine together. We need to study together. We need to pray together. We need to look together on God's word and see where he has for us to go and what he has for us to do and see what he's revealed through us to us through his word when we accept him, first off, as our per- his personal savior. We become enlisted in that army. As we looked at last week, we are adopted into the family of God as God's sons and generically as God's sons and daughters. Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasures of his will. Good pleasures of his will. We have an incorruptible inheritance in 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 4. We have an undefiled inheritance in the same verses, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. And we have an irreversible inheritance in 1 Peter 3, 1, 3 through 4. The sixth thing, which we hadn't got to last week, which I'll plow through just a little bit now, bring to our attention, we become a child of God. John 1, 12. But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. All you have to do is trust in Jesus Christ and believe in his name. There's no baptism that has to take place. There's no church membership that has to take place. All you have to do is take him at his name. His name means Savior. You have to trust in Jesus Christ and establish that personal relationship with him. And as I see people all across this country, it's been my privilege this week to receive letters and dittos and whatever from people that all I did was give them the word of God. Do with it what you may. You have the tools now. You have the armament. You have the privileges. You have the responsibilities. You have it all laid before you. If you need a Bible, I'll give you one, but it's there. We need to be encouraged. We need to be enlightened, and we need to be fortified as we act upon that. That's what church is about. That's what preaching is about. That's what uh, God's word is about. How to get the most bang for your buck, so to speak. As we do that, I want to encourage you all to tithe. If you want the best money, you want to make the most of your money, the first thing you need to do is tithe on it. Acknowledge God as part of your income. It's something you can do whether you make a penny a week or a thousand dollars. It's something you can do as an individual. The next thing you can do as an individual that will only cost you is your time. 
and you probably should get time in front of money. God wants your time as well. He wants to give you his time, and in turn, he'll give you your time. And that enlightenment come upon me when I was pronounced physically incapable, totally paralyzed from the shoulders down in the hospital. As they transported me from the VA hospital to the VA medical center, the VA old folks home. How would you like to be 40-some years old or was I 52? Late 40s. Laying in a old folks home where the guys all are all slobbering, you know, and then there's there was a guy in there, he was crazy because his dad was crazy, but his dad was a veteran, so they let him in. You get around all, and you're there. You can't even get up and walk out. Because that's when they told me I could leave, is when I could get up and walk out. Threw my back out of place, again, after back surgery, getting up and walking out. 23 steps from my bed to the toilet. Did it with pulleys and grannies and you name it. Wheelchair. How would you like to get in a wheelchair to go to the bathroom? Then what do you do when you get there? God will work those things out. He'll give you the enlightenment and the courage and the strength you need as you give way to him. Now, I'm not against surgery. I'm, I, I, give it, I got my toe cut off last, what, two months ago? My Bible says if it offend thee, cut it off. <laughs> and it was offending me. We need to take care of those things. But you've got to look through it and understand why those things are happening to you, to you through that perspective of God's eyes. And look through that keyhole and see what he has for you. And you're going to sit there and you're going to rely on things you've heard and things that have been said. Most of them will be in church. The story you talked about this morning, I've seen that evangelist. Talk to him. He talks about how he, and I've had guys in prison when I was there. They, they get, I give them John and Romans. About the time they're two-thirds of the way book, through the book of Romans, they're either going to get saved or they're going to burn the whole thing up. And then I got a story about a guy who burnt the whole thing up, and it made it difficult for me to get Bibles into prison after that. Your sin affects more than anybody, everybody else, and those other people were affected by somebody else's sin. They don't need to blame God. You don't need to blame yourself all the time. But if you look at it through God's eyes, you'll understand. So, we'll get a heavenly citizenship. Ephesians 2, 19, the seventh thing. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. That's Ephesians 2, 19. You're rubbing shoulders with good people when you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. If you have not accepted Christ as your personal Savior, woe unto the ones you choose to rub elbows with. Woe unto you. Are you looking? <laughs> we need to be cautious who we fellowship with. Now, there's a difference in working with somebody. My dad always said, you know, the people that wash their hands together stay together. No, it's the people that pray together that stay together. I've worked in many places. 
not a stranger to it. I'm so glad that the men showed up last night with a mind, yesterday with a mind to work. We need to look at things through God's eyes and understand why he says this, this, and this. You're not going to come to those conclusions all the time by yourself. That's why you're commanded to fellowship with one another so much more as you see the day approaching. What's the day? I like to say the day is Sunday. But the day approaching could be taken quite literally, and, it, and all you got to do is turn on the news, and there's a day approaching. I've seen newsmen that didn't know the difference between God and a haystack talk about the battle of good and evil taking place right now, not only in our not only in overseas, but in our schools, in our hospitals, in our everyday lives. There's a battle going on. My job is to tell you, warn you about it. Those are other things we can keep in mind. Those things come when you accept Christ as your personal Savior because, you know, you're on the winning team. And you're going to make so much of it, and that's it. And God's given you a chance to be victorious in this life, and he's certainly given you the opportunities you are guaranteed to be victorious in the next life if you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. We get heavenly citizenship, Ephesians 2.19. We get a home in heaven, Ephesians 2.19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. That's the second part. Household are those who dwell under the same roof and compromise a family. Those who belong to a family, people who live together in a home. I know I'm terrible at names, but that's why sometimes I address you as brother and sister. Sometimes I address you as brother and sister to remind you that you're my brother and sister in Christ. Because we're all in one family, we're under that household. It helps me to understand your shortcomings and your strengths. And that's why we call each other brothers and sisters. If nothing else, to give honor, as we talked about rather recently, to those who are in the family of Christ. So we, begin, we get that citizenship. There's three things that I point out there in Ephesians 2.19. We're no longer foreigners. Foreigners are those people that don't have things in common with you. Fellow citizens, we become fellow citizens, and we come, become members of the household. All that's in Ephesians 2.19. We become heirs of God. The ninth thing, Galatians 3.29. And if you be in Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promises. Did you see that? In Galatians 3, Galatians 3.29, I'm sorry, 3.29. And if you be in Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed. I'm a Jew. Says that. And heirs according to the promises. What's the promises given to Abraham? You step out in faith, I'll honor you. What have you done as far as stepping out in faith, or are you just following somebody in faith? And you do, and we do at times. But God's calling each one of us to step out in our faith and to take action on what we believe. And uh, we could go into a long conversation, but that promise is in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And I will turn there and read it to you if, in case you can say, well, I had a message this morning, and he sure covered some scripture, but he didn't, he didn't have us turn to it. Let's go to Genesis 
12, 1 through 3. It's called the Abrahamic, Abrahamic promise. And you go, well, I don't want to know all about the Jews. I'm a Gentile. I'm in the new church age, da-da-da-da-da. Okay, then how do you get around this verse? And I will make thee a great nation. This is God talking to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. What's the blessing we get from the Hebrew people? And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Shall all families of the earth be blessed? Every one of you are blessed because Jesus Christ came to this planet as a Hebrew, amongst the Hebrews, for the Hebrew first, and then for the Gentile, and he came and died for your sins, that you might be acceptable before God, and that at salvation takes place. You become heirs to all the promises given to the Hebrew people, to all the Jews as a nation. And we can sit shoulder to shoulder with those people in heaven. Remember I talked about who you spend time in fellowship with. Some of the most brilliant people in the world are Hebrew people as a race. The next is the Oriental people, according to IQ <coughs> tests and school teachers. And I think Brother Fred even touched upon it once in his, one of his lectures. When we accept Christ as our personal Savior, it doesn't matter. We're grafted in, according to Romans chapter 11. We're part of that eternal blessing and family that was preserved especially for his people and is awarded to anyone who takes that step of faith, who takes that step of faith. As I started to say, in, in prison situations, everybody exercises some kind of faith. Everybody has within him the desire to rebuild themselves. That's why teachers teach. That's why convicts teach each other. That's why we want to regenerate where we're at. That's why the godless proclaim their gospel of humanism, self-centerism. There's a few other isms in there. I'm always a little cautious, very cautious of anybody who proclaims anything that ends in an ism. Cannibalism. <laughs> Amen. Speaking of camel, ca cannibalism, we're going to eat here in a little bit. So I'm going to wrap it up, and we're going to put the chairs to the side and stuff, but let's all stand. We've only got through the first 10. I don't know if I'll labor you with these much more, but we'll go through some more later from time to time. Those things that accompany salvation. If we can only, and if you become aware of something, let me know. I'll write it down. How I developed this, this message over the years was when I taught it in the colleges, I asked them to Come to me if we hadn't covered something and if you got an idea. So some of this isn't all just something God gifted me with. He's gifted others who have submitted themselves to his authority and given to me to share with others throughout the ages. And I'm so pleased that people have. That's part of one of the gifts we receive when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, a founded positive faith, not only in our creator, but the things he created.